Welcome to Media Path. I am Louise Palenker. And I'm Fritz Coleman. Really? This is exciting for me. Today on the show, we've got our good friend, Diane Diamond, who is a writer, a reporter, and a groundbreaking journalist who dives daringly into the difficult stories that dramatically impact all of us. Her latest beat is the world of abusive guardianship, where greed and corruption devour the most vulnerable among us. Her book is called We're Here to Help When Guardianship Goes Wrong. We will also be welcoming Maurice Godin and Greg Thurloway. They've created a brand new musical experience celebrating the Jewish composers of Christmas songs. It's called, of course, Oi to the World. <laughs> it's all coming right up. <laughs> How can you not want to see that? That is the best title ever. But first, Fritz, what have you got for us today? All right, I'm going to talk about a Joan Baez documentary. This is in some selected theaters, also streaming on Apple and Prime. Now, there are several Joan Baez documentaries streaming. This is the latest one called I Am a Noise. Now, you know, I'm a huge fan of music documentaries, but I have to say this is the most beautiful and most profound one I've ever seen. It's the life of the greatest of our folk and activist icons. He uses interviews, home movies, diary entries, audio recordings, and performances. This is a woman being brutally honest with herself and us as she tries to make sense of her history-making life. She had a 60-year performing career that still goes. She still tours. She's a staunch social activist, but it was refreshing to learn that she's not just the typical famous person that thinks they need to be in a soapbox. She was raised Quaker in a pacifist family, so working for the good of others was hereditary with her. She drills down on her relationship with Bob Dylan, talking about when it was good and why it was destined to fail. Some great recent concert footage shows us that she remains relevant and still packs houses. She's one of three beautiful sisters, and she and one of her other sisters suffer from depression, manic episodes, and long periods of darkness. And as the film progresses, you begin to understand how two siblings could have the same mental challenges. That's all I'm going to tell you. In the end, after some surprising revelations, you will understand that this is a person whose soul is as clear and pure as her sound. It's called Joan Baez, I Am a Noise. And one of the things that I really loved about it was that she's a person who is unafraid of hard work and she did a lot of hard work to be happy and so she earned yes. it and therapy for 20 or 30 years and she's so honest about herself it's really uh quite a revelation I she, just, yeah she was willing to go there because she knew she needed to in order to give herself that peace that she so richly deserves. Joan Baez, I Am a Noise, what a great title. Almost as good as Oi to the World. Not quite as good as Oi to the World. You don't even have to know what that's about, you want to write tickets. (laughs) All right, Fritz, well, you're going to be so excited because I have found another crazy-ass cult doc series (laughs) on Max. It's called Love Has Won, colon, The Cult of Mother God. The internet age is such a marvel, Fritz. You can now enjoy the convenience of cult membership from the comfort of your own couch. (laughs) The series opens on body cam footage of police raiding a compound where they discover the decomposing and loosely mummified remains of Amy Carlson. Bless you. Exactly. That was a perfectly timed sneeze, though. I will say that. (laughs) Amy was tucked in a sleeping bag festooned with Christmas lights. 
She was a charismatic spiritual leader who had carefully taught her followers to enable her slow death. She called herself Mother God. She attracted a compound full of faithfuls who saw her as the physical manifestation of God. They hung on her every utterance and fueled her divine inspirations with a steady stream of drugs and alcohol. Amy believed she was the 534th incarnation of Mother God, a deity who was destined to lead exactly 144,000 believers out of the superficial reality of our 3D world and into a fifth dimensional plane of higher existence. She preached that she is God, Jesus, and Mother Nature. Guided on Earth by Robin Williams and a galaxy of fellow deceased celebrities, including but not limited to Michael Jackson, Gene Wilder, and Marilyn Monroe. Mother God taught her flock to live stream 24-7. Having been bestowed by Amy with such celestial titles as Archangel and Father God, they felt duly anointed to preach the gospel of their own divinity and sell candles, crystals, and colloidal silver a tincture of silver suspended in liquid, which Mother God claimed had healing properties. A thread that runs throughout her flock is backgrounds of abuse and neglect. In fact, two followers tell the camera that Amy is the first person who ever offered them words of praise. Carson's descent into her visions of holy grandeur began as she fell through dark internet holes that embraced QAnon and a belief that the Sandy Hook massacre, 9-11, and the Holocaust were all hoaxes, espousing that Hitler's intention was to serve the light. Celebrating the deity within each of us, except maybe not the Jews, this woman who called herself <laughs> Mother God abandoned her own children and took up with a father God she met online. He would be the first in a series. Together, they began online preaching. In times of chaos, we seek control. Cults offer a reality that meets our fantasies, or maybe in this internet age, our role plays. The rub being cults are at their essence an autocracy, and the leader will pull you in through a promise of inclusion and then usurp all control for themselves. Amy created a belief system in which poisons are remedies. Both figuratively and literally, the colloidal silver she hawked and guzzled ultimately turned her blue and killed her. Director Hannah Olson tells the story through interviews with followers who are still under the thrall of Mother God, along with miles of live-streamed video. Amy Carlson's core message was that, as God, she was able to heal the world by taking on humanity's pain. Rather than serving and relying upon one spiritual leader, a better path may be sharing a message that we each possess the power to improve the lives of ourselves and of those around us. Love Has Won, The Cult of Mother God is a three-part miniseries on Max. Enjoy, Fritz. Yeah, it's a lot. We're sort of cast into the universe with no guidance now that Mother God is gone. Hmm. I think what community was this in? Oh, all over. They Well, mostly Colorado. Then they went to Oregon. They had, Mount Shasta had some healing properties. They were looking for a lot of vortexes, and they would go. They went to Hawaii for a bit, back and forth. So, yeah, they were, in, wow. they were, they were seekers. So, But let us welcome two fellow seekers, <laughs> Maurice Godin and Greg Thurloway. They are the writers and the director of a brand-new musical called Oi to the World, which will enjoy its world premiere at the El Portal Theater in North Hollywood. And that's coming right up. We're going to give you dates and include them in our show notes. And much like Jesus, who was a Jew, so too were the creators of many cherished Christmas song classics. So tell us, guys, what inspired Oi to the World Christmas well, with a twist? Mother God, actually. Was Did, she? Did she? Did <laughs> she? Yes. I, 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 I no, want to no, know, I I know who, who was the 
hundred incarnation. <laughs> <laughs> There's a waiting list. <laughs> that's went to immediately. We're listening to <laughs> this Eleanor we're Roosevelt on our show, yeah. and we're going. And I think what a great musical that would be. Oh my god! Yeah, we're starting to write it now. If we if we just had more clear thinkers like that in the world today, yeah. what a better place it could be. Yeah, and decent drugs, I guess. <laughs> oh, our show, oh, our show. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 we the show. <laughs> this show. We did. It was Greg's brainchild. Uh, yes, I I had an idea about the show years and years ago. My uh, mother-in-law, who happens to uh, run the uh, Fritz Coleman Theater here, right? Right. right. Yes, uh, said that she she needs a show, a holiday show that could be more uh, multicultural. And I thought, oh, you need a show called Oi to the World. And that was basically it. And then I started doing research about holiday shows and went down this rabbit hole of discovering just how many of our classic secular 20th century Christmas songs were written by Jewish composers. And Not only that, that but, but if you look back in the history, most of the people employed at the Brill Building in Tin Pan Alley were all Jewish. All the yeah. major pop music in America was created by Jews. Yeah, well, look look at how many Jewish composers were had a foothold at Motown. Yeah, I think so, we get, and, and you know, w- w- uh, while we were diving into the research, we you know, m- the more we discovered, not only were uh, uh, you know Jewish composers and Jewish lyricists involved, but the stories behind the the, the songs that they wrote were fascinating, uh, and so uh, we've included a lot of the stories of the origins of, I don't know, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer or. Um, um, oh Holy Night, yes. or um, fascinating stuff. Because even Oh Holy Night, written in the mid 1800s, was written by a, a Jewish uh, composer and an atheist lyricist. Yeah, well, one-handed wow. atheist lyricist. A wow. one-handed atheist lyricist oh. until they discovered who wrote it. Yeah, <laughs> then they said, "We don't like that song." <laughs> I'm no, sorry. no, no. There is no religious validity to this song whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. You were mistaken. One thing, yeah. well, one thing that has been established is that the stars were actually brightly shining. So that absolutely is yes, deniable. Um, so yes. this is more or less a jukebox musical, in that folks come with a pre-love of the songs they're about to hear, correct? God, we hope so. Yeah. <laughs> like, have yourself a Merry Christmas, I'll be home for Christmas, White Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Ranger. I wonder if Gene Autry knew a Jewish guy wrote the song. Anyway, I uh, don't know. Santa Johnny Baby. Marks, man, the- <laughs> he has quite quite the, the, the library of songs that he's wrote. Mm-hmm. And his brother, Bob May, uh, who's also Jewish, he is the one that wrote the story, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Wow. Wow. You, you know, uh, 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 about I, his I, own childhood, of being bullied and um, yeah teased yeah. and ostracized by other kids because of his heritage and his large nose. Yeah, big nose. Ah, That's per- wow, wow. Y- you so know, Rudolph. Uh, was a Jew. Yeah, basically. Taking darkness what? and bending it towards light. <laughs> well, yeah. what I like about your show is the conceit is it's not only these songs, but the, the thread is it's in the Catskills, and there's a lot of Jewish Borscht Belt humor in it. So yes. this is just joyful with the songs and funny with the laughter, and it sounds like a perfect presentation. Yeah, it's a great it's it's a great combination. And, you know, while we were recent, uh, Greg researching. Researching, researching. Yeah, that was That's the, the word. whole word. Yeah. 
I just was doing a half of it. He likes uh, to speak in abbreviation. Shortcut. Yeah. Uh, we were looking into uh, a lot of the Christmas spectaculars that were in some of these lodges where they would have Santa Claus with the Star of David around his neck. Oh, my God. Just a complete mixture uh, of... Uh, of different cultures, just uh, celebrating the holidays. Period. So our show is a mixture of cultures. Yeah, it's it's the fact that it's pretty hard to not see Christmas in this world, and how the many different cultures have experienced that. You know, because the reality is, uh, the, the Christian also, Church. Yeah. You know, they co-opted a pre-existing uh, holiday uh, or a celebration. Uh, with the winter solstice right and the the first christian church the universal church they were the one that co-opted the 25th as the birth designated birthday of jesus and in the christian church there's no straight line between the birth of the christ child in the manger to a fat guy in a red suit or no, is there a no, straight line no, between no, no. it goes the, somewhere through germany but right. other than that and, and, right. <laughs> although it might have appeared after the three kings you might have shown up on the fourth day because he got lost <laughs> right. well prince or, albert brought the christmas tree from germany into the royal family in the victorian age and then later he wound up in a can you just call your druggist and <laughs> well, he'll tell you. Right. Yes. yes. I mean, a Coca-Cola can. Uh, yeah. Prince Albert in a can. Anyway, oh, I, 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 I just think this is perfect for the time. I, I mean, the same with when I do my shows, I feel it. And that is there's such a chasm in our country now culturally and politically. And there's so many dark clouds that people just want to be taken out of their heads for an hour and a half yeah. in the night. And this is going to be a great way to do that. It, it is. It's it really We've been having we have we've had a lot of fun writing it. We're having a lot of fun putting it together, and we've got some characters in it who have uh, embraced the holiday using all sorts of different traditions and saying part of what we love about the holiday is what we love about America, which is the melting pot. Right. And uh, and we've got one character that 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 brings in Hindu um, idolatry and Christian and Jewish, and they just say they have a big holiday celebrating all different cultures. I love that. Talk about the conceit of the show. Give us a little of the arc of the show and the setup and all. Uh, a, a, a gentleman has inherited uh, a lodge from his grandparents. That's how a lot of my video games begin. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With that old, that old chestnut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> nobody gets killed in this one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so go ahead. What happened? And he had such uh, fond memories and such a love of his grandparents who often told these uh, elevated stories about what life was like in these fantastic shows they would put on in this lodge in the Catskills. And he had been basically crafting a show since he was a young boy that if he ever had the opportunity of what he would do for a holiday show ah. and that is what is happening in this particular show he has inherited he has inherited this lodge he has hired three of his uh close friends who are phenomenal performers from new york to come up and join him for a, a christmas weekend or christmas two weekend show and uh, antics ensue <laughs> oh, I bet they do. It sounds wonderful. Any door slamming? Uh, we don't have any. Oh, there is well, door slamming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the beginning. We, that's the only door we have. There will be. And then there's yeah. a, a, a Teller-esque character of Penn and Teller, ah. who is also our accompanist. Okay. Well, talk about your composer. Who, who has some magical capabilities. 
Talk about your composer and your choreographer. You have two good persons doing that as well. Oh, our, our Jerry. Jerry. Jerry Sternbach. Uh, yeah, Jerry Sternbach is our music, music director. director. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's yeah. a fantastic talent. Uh, he's uh, he's an icon of him, in and of himself. Yeah, he is an icon yeah. in and of himself. He's he's got the ability to uh, to hear music, play it, change the key, get inspired, and allow. In uh, one of these people who you know, there's there's not a lot of uh, resistance between his brain and his fingers when he's playing the piano. It uh, you know his fingers follow his inspiration. Yes. and it's wow. just a joy to watch him play around. And his ability to improvise just so quickly yeah. on the spot. Yeah. So Maurice, we 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 know a lot about Greg because Greg's well schooled in the uh, the musical. Yeah, oh, Jerry is also our arranger. He's more than just the musical director. Oh, okay. He's also because Jerry is our is our co creator on the project, and he's doing all of the arrangements for the show. Wonderful. Well, uh, more reason to see it. But I mean, I mean, Greg's got this great reputation of musical theater in Southern California. But you, you're an interloper. You came here from the Great White North. You were born and raised in Toronto. You went to the Ryerson Theater School. You were in the Stratford Shakespeare Festival. You were in the Shaw Festival. But just let me tell you, the best thing about Toronto, the Chinese food. They have the best Chinese food got, on the North American continent. Chinatowns, too. We used to drive up the two and a half hours, because I lived in Buffalo and worked there, two and a half hours to get Chinese food in Toronto. First of all, it's it's culturally one of the coolest places in the world. You have Second City up there, and they, they, they really support the arts, but the Chinese food is is to die for. I tell you, when, when I was living there, because uh, I moved down uh, here in 93, uh, but when I was living there, I was living on the Danforth, and the Danforth is in between Greektown and Chinatown, the east side, East Chinatown, because we have two Chinatowns, and the choice of cuisine was staggering. Mm-hmm. It was great just to walk up to the, either way, we go north to get some great Greek food or go south to get some great Chinese food. And now you teach opera at CSUN, Cal State University. Well, I, I teach acting for opera singers. Oh, and wow. study for opera singers, and I direct uh, m- most of the operas there. Wonderful. They have some talented people out there? Yeah, oh, there's some astounding talent. You know, I'm always in awe of the singers. I used to do a lot of musical thing- uh, theater, and I and I, I never tell my students that I used to sing, because um, I, I pale in comparison to those singers that, that, that I work with. But, but you also uh, played, I hope this is right, um, you played Edmund in King Lear opposite Christopher Plummer. Is that true? I did. Holy cow. Yeah, that was amazing. It was a great experience just wow. watching him work. Um, and I loved playing the role. Uh, uh, Where was that? It was was it in Canada? Go back to Stratford because I hadn't been back to Stratford in, I don't know, there was a 16 year hiatus. And then they asked me to come back and do Edmund. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. If, <laughs> you know, if Plummer's doing Lear, I'll, I'll do it. Holy so, cow. You know, cool negotiate that with my Greg, this is your third project with uh, Maurice. What what were the other two? Oh, well, none of them are produced yet. So this is actually our first (laughs) project that's been produced. So they're looking in your mind. We have another play that we've written uh, called uh, Tin Hat Decade, which we are looking to do a 29-hour reading of in New York in the the spring. Uh, And it's a very timely piece about... uh, Let's see, George Santos-esque? Yeah, it's kind of... It's, it's, <laughs> a George Santos-esque oh woman running for U.S. Senate uh, in, in a southern state. Oh now, my. we wrote this 
we wrote this long before anybody knew the name George Santos. You are prophetic. You're so prescient. That sounds wow. awesome. Yeah, we you wrote better get this thing on the board. Thinking that, you know, like we're kind of pushing the boundaries of what could possibly happen here. Oh, oh <laughs> no, we're no, not. not. Just add this a sweater This is a documentary vest. now. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to mention, because I'm, I'm, I, I, I will be remiss if I did not, Jeffrey Polk is our choreographer yeah. and he's phenomenal and and also a los angeles institution now you you um, guys and then yeah okay and then back to me uh, <laughs> please <laughs> we wrote no 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 no, oh, no okay. get over here we, we wrote a, a very funny uh sitcom yeah we did a whole, yeah we did a whole first we wrote season. a whole season that never got produced i uh, know oh, but it's funny wait. The Not our fault. All right, you're really? gonna light. You're gonna light the pilot light with this thing, and you'll be off to the oh, races. Oh, that's it. Well, so this is gonna run December 14th through the 23rd. Through the 23rd. It combines Broadway performers and LA theater favorites. It's funny. It's joyful, and people have a good sense about it because they're already half sold out. So you need to get in. We are. We are literally half sold out. Wow. Well, we're going to put all so the, the data up on our show notes. Thank you. And we'll, we'll sell out the rest of the room. Fritz is going to give out about 15 comps to NBC. <laughs> oh, no, So no. look for Colleen like and no, Paul. No. they show up. <laughs> and nope. Kelly. They'll, they'll get front row. They're nope. going to need that. And well, they need a little desk once again in case there's an update. Absolutely. The rumor is yeah, yeah, around yeah. the we theater. We the Sunday morning show happening. <laughs> the, the rumor is around the uh, the theater world in, in uh, north of Los Angeles that this is an hysterical play that people are really going to enjoy. So good luck, fellas. Yeah, I want to come. Thank you both so much. Thank you. You guys are adorable, too. Pleasure talking to you. You too. We love you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye. Oh, that was wonderful. And now on to our next guest, Diane Diamond is a multiple award-winning freelance journalist, author, syndicated columnist, and former television correspondent who specializes in crime and justice issues. She has worked at National Public Radio, WCBS-TV, Hard Copy, The Today Show, MSNBC, CNBC, and Court TV. She has written for Newsweek, Huffington Post, The Daily Beast, The New York Post, Real Clear Investigations, and The Albuquerque Journal. She is the author of Be Careful Who You Love, Inside the Michael Jackson Case, Cirque du and Thinking Outside the Crime and Justice Box. Her new book about abusive guardianships is called We're Here to Help, meaning we're here to help ourselves to your life savings. Diana studied the famous guardianship cases like that of Britney Spears, and also she has thoroughly explored the conscripted victim next door whose court-ordered guardians and conservators are keeping them medicated while pilfering through their possessions and earnings. Here are some numbers you will find on Diane's website to get you started on this topic. Two million Americans are under court control. $50 billion is confiscated from wards of states per year. Only three states mandate the licensing of guardians. There are zero federal laws regulating guardianships and conservatorships. So tell us, Diane, what led you to this topic and to your investigation therein? Well, you said all the best things now, Louise. I don't know what, what there is <laughs> And that's all the time to we have for today. How did I get involved? <laughs> you know, like most reporters, you get a call from somebody who says, hey, this is what's happening to me and my family. Uh, it happened to be a, an old pal of mine from the uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico area. And I, I couldn't believe what she was telling me. Her father was in this thing called guardianship, and it was all secret. And the, I couldn't get into the courtroom, and I couldn't get any court documents. And uh, her siblings were stealing money, and so was the guardian and the conservator. And I, it just was so confusing. 
Uh, and I couldn't do anything because I couldn't get any corroborating court documents. And it came to pass, at very short order, a private investigator I work with called me and said, hey, there's a case in Pennsylvania. And he told me the same kind of story, except it was an, a woman who was in guardianship, an elderly woman. And I I realized, is this like a nationwide thing here? What What's going on? What's this secret court called guardianship? Um, so in Pennsylvania, I could get into the court. I thought I could. And I walked in and I was quickly escorted out. But um, I did get information about the Pennsylvania case, a woman named Betty Wynn Stanley. So I wrote about that. She was declared an incapacitated ward of the court. But when I spoke to this woman, she was delightful and conversive and um, very intelligent and really pissed off because among the civil rights she was being denied under guardianship, she wasn't allowed to vote. And she was a daughter of the American Revolution member. She wanted to vote. The whole thing's a travesty. And and, and this woman yeah. was like a, 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 a chemistry specialist. She, she was like a, a, a physics chemistry genius. And, and somebody decided. And that was the most disturbing thing about your book is that these judges have so much power. They can deem someone incapacitated with no medical testimony from anybody. It's just the judge's decision. And the case in in albuquerque he was a very respected doctor so these were yes, he was a these successful oh people it, it was... who lost control of their their lives and... for those of us of a certain age this was a scary as hell book i don't mind telling you that right now <laughs> I, I want to get some definitions you're like reading the book like do my kids really there are two, like me there are two words that pop up a lot in your book and i want to make sure everybody understands what they are one is conservatorship and the other is guardianship what are those two terms same thing uh, some states call it conservatorship. Most of them call it guardianship. Conservatorship in, right there in California, where you guys are, and where Britney Spears was conscripted for almost 14 years. So, you, you know, you, you have to realize it's not just old people who are involved in this. I'm, a lot of the time, it's uh, brothers and sisters, and they squabble, and they can't figure out what to do with mom or dad who's getting older, maybe some, you know, mental problems or memory problems. Uh, and so somebody goes to a lawyer, and guess what the lawyer suggests? Hey, you should take the legal path called guardianship. It's great. You could probably be a, you'll be appointed the guardian yourself. But once you get to court, that's why this is on the front of the book. It's like a double cross. Judges nowadays they don't appoint family members as guardians because they've been squabbling. They must be dysfunctional. So they appoint a for-profit professional guardian who then can hire all sorts of different people to care for your loved one. And if you get out of line and ask too many questions, you can be banned from visiting your loved one, sometimes permanently. So if you if you just get if your mom gets to that age where she can't remember to write the, the, the check for the electricity mm -hmm. or, you know, or the mortgage. You can just do a power of attorney where you don't really involve the courts at all, where your mom just says, yeah, 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 you can go ahead and you have access to my funds because I trust my daughter to make these payments. And that that doesn't get you close to being um, conscripted, does it? No, no. And, and that's a great idea mm -hmm. to, to do power of attorney to someone you really trust. In fact, get a successor in case something happens to the first person. But more and more... 
when you go to a lawyer to do that, they'll suggest guardianship because you see that keeps the fees going month after month after month after month. And then talk um, about and, how they're all working in cahoots and so that this industry has attracted near-do-wells and people who, very tragically without a conscience. Yeah, you call it a yeah. click in your book, which yeah. is a great way to Cabal. Describe. Well, you know, I wanted to call this book The Racket, <laughs> <laughs> but my publishers at Brandeis University didn't think that sounded quite right. So, But it, it is a racket. You're right. And look. All it takes is for a lawyer to go to a judge with a petition of guardianship. It's a piece of paper. And it says this person can't take care of themselves because X, Y, Z. Well, I found after eight years of investigating these cases, those petitions are frequently full of lies. Well, the daughter stole $100,000 from mom or uh, the old man can't uh, uh, take care of himself. He forgets to take his meds. And it's not true. But the judge sees this presented to him by an officer of the court and he says oh yeah okay oh and it's an emergency okay guardianship is in conservatorship is in effect now that person immediately gets their civil rights stripped from them and all of their assets their property their money their investments is all put into the name of the guardian so that guardian controls their whole life there, there were some scary scary examples of this um uh and i i want to talk more about those as we go go along and then you're going to offer as you have in your book so beautifully offer tips on how people can avoid this but it seems like there's a pattern (laughs) oh yes we've read the book yeah there's a pattern you said that starts these proceedings that is one sibling doesn't want to be responsible for the care of the parent but doesn't want the other siblings to be in charge either, which is fascinating, isn't it? Oh, siblings. Yeah. You know, and there's one that lives on the other side of the country, and they want they want the whole inheritance, but they're not doing any of the care of, of the parent. It, you know, it's siblings. The sibling land, it can be crazy time because, we, as Diane mentions in the book, we revert to our childhood personalities, you know, where this one bullied me and therefore I'm going to get my revenge. Anyway, yeah. go, you go ahead. Is, is that pattern hold in, in most of these cases, Diane? Well, it does hold in quite a few of the cases, yeah. In a majority of cases, they're started because the family doesn't quite know what to do, and they get talked into guardianship. But I also found a lot of cases where people would go to a lawyer with mama or daddy and say, look, I'm the adult child. We want to make a, a, a power of attorney. And the, the lawyer takes down all of this information and may suggest guardianship and you say no no i just want the power of attorney those attorneys then go to the judge and guardianize your parent anyway without your knowledge i found case after case after case of that now you think i'm making this up no no you you see the footnotes the end notes i've put in the book Mm -hmm. it's highly researched it took me many many years to track it all down but the that's two ways it can start. A guardianship can start when your next door neighbor who gets mad at you and, and says, hey, I saw her. I saw Louise falling down, going to the the mailbox. You know, something needs to happen. I was just a little tipsy. Protective services comes in and adult protective services can guardianize you, Louise. 
And, and, and you, you mentioned one of them where she couldn't vote, and that was the, the, the beautiful elderly lady that, that incensed her so much. But there are other things that Britney Spears found out. And Britney Spears, one of the other injustices in this, she didn't understand what her rights were. No, no lawyer, this team of lawyers she had protecting her rights, supposedly, told her that she has ways to push back. Not only did, could she not vote, if she had a child... And she wanted to get pregnant with Sam Asgari or whatever his name was. They could take that child and put it up for adoption, or they could deny her the ability to get pregnant. And and women who are under these conservativeships can be sterilized, right? Right. Oh, and have forced abortions. Holy Your cow. guardian has that much power. Man. If you're pregnant, all of a sudden you're pregnant, they can order up an abortion for you. They can order up medication for elderly people that I found in case after case, elderly people should not be taking. Um, there's a lot of guardianships that start because someone has a, a disability, but cerebral palsy, for example. Um, you know, cerebral palsy does not affect your intellect. It affects your mobility. And there's a case here in New York. I live in New York, a, a kid in Staten Island. There was an accident at birth. His parents won a $1.9 million medical malpractice. And under law, the baby gets a guardian so the parents don't spend all the money. It's that Shirley Temple law, remember? Mm -hmm. uh, so when Michael Liguori is his name, Michael reached the age of 18. He, he had been doing very well in high school. He wanted to go to college. And the guardian said, I'm not paying for college for you. And he said, well, I'm 18. I get my money back. No. The guardian convinced the judge that, well, look at him. Look at Michael. He talks differently and he walks differently. you got to keep this guardianship going. That's awful. And the judge agreed and kept oh him under God. guardianship until last winter when he turned 26. Oh. Well, let's go over real quickly the, the Britney Spears particulars, because there are a lot of folks listening to this podcast who just maybe saw her behaving erratically and then she was guardianized and then they, they thought, well, you know, I guess her dad's looking after her because she's always in the headlines. But what really happened? And the other thing about Britney Spears that I find so distressing is that while she was under this guardianship, she kept earning money. It, it was almost like... They forced her to keep working to pay this platoon of, you know, uh, lawyers, right? It, it was really sick. So give us, give us some of the, yeah. the, the bullet points here. Yeah. Well, look, you see Britney Spears today um, dancing with knives and cutting herself and dancing on a pole in a thong. And you think, oh, boy, what's going on there? But the question is, does she still need some mental health help or after 14 years, is she just sowing her oats? You know, she lost 14 years of her life to, to other people always telling her what to do. It is astounding the amount of money she made on being a, a judge on television in a talent contest at, in Las Vegas in with her record sales. Huge amounts of money. Yet the court said she was incapacitated. Now, that doesn't square, does it? No, no, it doesn't. She's out there working, but she can't take care of her own things. And her, yeah, and her lawyers. She was paying 13 different lawyers. And, and her conservatorship lawyer made $520,000 a year. Oh, my God. For doing 10, what? $10,000 a week. And you're not allowed to, a week yeah, and you're not allowed yeah. to bring your own lawyer into the proceedings to 
plead your case, it's it's really they really have it locked down to maintain control. Yes. And every single step of the way, realize a warden the court loses all their civil rights. They can't hire an attorney to go and fight for them. Now, there are a couple of states that have changed that law just recently. They can't vote. They can't marry. They can't decide where they're going to live or who can come and visit them. They can't drive, use a passport, spend their own money. They can do nothing without a guardian and the part, giving them permission to Yeah, do. and the part that really haunted me is they, they don't have any privacy. They can't lock the door and say, we're done for the night, I'm, I'm going to wind down. There's people coming and going that they have no control over. Right. And in many, many cases, multiple caretakers are hired and they watch your every move. And if a family member comes in to visit, they'll sit there and take notes about what's being said oh, and oh, report Lord. back to the guardian. And it all goes back to the most... Any- controversy yeah it all goes back to the i think the most hideous aspect of this whole thing is the judge does not have to rely on the professional opinion of a psychiatrist or a psychologist or any mental health professional he makes it up on his own Mm -hmm. set of circumstances which is unbelievable to me but let's be fair there are a lot of guardianships that work out just fine when a trusted family member is appointed, for example, um, and if it's an emergency guardianship, and lots of them have that emergency at the top, emergency petition for guardianship, then the judge can do whatever they want. They don't need medical, they don't need anything. But if it's just a regular petition, then there's a court visitor that goes to the house and talks to the family and the potential ward. There is a medical person who does a psychological evaluation. There, um, There's lots of different things that happen. And the potential ward of the court's estate pays for everything. So there's lots of those that go on. And the psychological person and the court visitor and the guardian and the lawyer, they all work together in case after case after case after case. So where is the incentive to say, yeah, no, I went to that person's house. They don't need a guardianship. Mm -hmm. And it's all coming out of the the wards. you're depriving your other friends of their fees. Oh, yeah. So it's all coming out of the wards bank account. Yeah. And you say we're, we're in L.A. right now. The California conservatorship industry is a real click. So these little pods of money-sucking individuals uh, are really worse out here. Is that, tr- is that true? Do you find that to be true? California is a, a hotbed, I must say. And, and I'll tell you, again, it's not just elderly people who are guardianized. Anybody with money is a target. Anybody, a young person who has an accident and goes into a coma uh, will, could very well like wake up and realize they're in guardianship if they have a condo or some money or some, you know, the targets are anybody with money, even a military person with a pension. Tell the story of uh, of Teresa Jankowski, because her case, I, I just found that to be especially stirring because of her life of service. Yes, yes. There, there were a couple of women I put into one chapter. They both gave their life in civil service. One Homeland Security, Teresa Jankowski and, and the FBI. Um, she was a... a a single woman, she uh, retired from the FBI. Everybody loved her. She she had saved a lot of money, like 
about $2 million. And she went to her investment counselor out there in California and said, you know what? I want to leave all of this to that dog rescue group. I, I just love dogs. And this guy, according to everything I found out from multiple sources, called in his friend, a conservator, a lawyer named Jody Montgomery. Now, Jody Montgomery, incidentally, she gets named as 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 the um, she, she comes into the system. I'm trying to make this a short story. Mm -hmm. She comes in and tries to guardianize Teresa Jankowski. But Teresa's got a lot of friends. This fight goes on for almost two years. And the judge in the case let it go on for two years, but never actually guardianized Teresa Jankowski. And you know why I think it ended? Because Jody Montgomery suddenly got appointed to fill in for Britney Spears' father, who was too sick to continue to be her conservator. So Jody Montgomery suddenly, after two years of fighting to guardianize Teresa Jankowski and her big pile of money, says to the judge, oh, you know what, I'm done. She found a well with more water. Yep. And that it, and that's that particular judge uh, ultimately was removed from guardianship court. There were several cases he was involved with. Let's talk about Jamie Spears, her father, who was appointed okay. her conservator. Apparently, there's no due diligence done on who they appoint conservator either, because he's got kind of a dark backstory himself, right? There's a lot of dysfunction in that whole family. Yeah, from from day from jump. This family, uh, my research took me to a friend of mine, Dana Kennedy, who writes for the New York Post, and she went down to the area where Brittany grew up and found some relatives, and they told her an earful. Mm. Apparently, the Spears family has a history of institutionalizing and over-medicating the women oh in wow. their family. Wow. And it turns out uh, Brittany's grandfather, ironically named June Spears, I don't know why a man would be named June, but anyway, <laughs> he uh, had two wives. He institutionalized both of them and ordered that they be um, uh, medicated with lithium. Guess what happened to Brittany years later? She was institutionalized and over-medicated with lithium. So I found this pattern in this family. You talk about not wanting to appoint someone from a dysfunctional family. Yeah. Well, that would be Jamie Spears, in my opinion. Right. Um, That's what I mean. You know, and then there's no research done as to the background. The judge just says, okay, I'm, I'm pointing to this guy because he's standing right here in front of me. And it just seems well, yeah, and, and so many times it's a total stranger who they appoint. And mm -hmm. again, they do, as Louise said at the top, most states don't require that they have a license. Your barber, Fritz, the guy who does your hair, has to have more licensing than a guardian who takes over someone's whole life. Yeah, and uh, and the, I think the history of deeming a woman unstable, you, you, you talk about gas, the movie Gaslight and the term Gaslight that we now use. Do you know that Cary Grant was told that his mother had died when he was still Archie Leach? He was told as a child that his mother had died. And after he grew up, he was he found out that his mother was in an asylum. She was very much alive, and she his father just wanted to marry somebody else. Wow! So this has I been going on, I think, throughout history, when one way or another, as a means of controlling people or of just carving out the world in your own image. You know how you'd like someone becomes difficult, and or some some issue becomes something you'd like to either run away from or have these people go away 
you can just, yeah, she's crazy, you know. Yeah. Well, it's back to the women. And I'll tell you, I have a have a chapter in the book uh, about a phenomenon I found in several states where divorce attorneys were telling their male clients, well, you know, your wife is being pretty uncooperative. I don't know if she's going to let you divorce. I don't know. You know what? We should guardianize her oh my because God. then she can't God. hire a lawyer to fight. Oh. oh, my goodness. Wow. Happens in Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, Florida. Well, Weezy mentioned it in your introduction. I think the, the hideous thing about this is there are no federal laws governing this, right? Each state has its own separate rules. Right. I, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes. Every single state is different. Nobody keeps track of how many people are in guardianship. No, there's no, I mean, we keep track of missing cars in this country, mm -hmm. missing children, but we don't take care to count the people who've been stripped of their civil rights, had all their assets seized, and are living under court control somewhere. We, we have no idea. And you mentioned in your book that, you know, we very thoroughly keep track of foster children. They don't make mm -hmm. any money for anybody. It costs money to raise children, so that's why we know where they are. But the people who could be pilfered from, we don't know. And it's a combination of secrecy and no accountability that you mentioned right. in your book, that this is a double whammy of, of elements that are not great for bringing out the best in folks. That's right. And, and can I just say, people... I, I explain the system in this book, mm -hmm. and then I tell you human stories, human horror stories, some of them, about what what really happens in real life after you are guardianized. Uh, again, some some guardianships work out fine. Some professional guardians are complete uh, stand-up people. But there are so many that are not, and there, as Fritz said, there are no federal laws to, to, to govern it any part of this and the reason i was given over and over and over again was well you know it's a state's rights issue oh, it's up to the states to do it and i said wait a minute you know the department of justice the u.s department of justice goes into police departments in states around the country where there's a civil rights violation alleged they go in they sit there they figure out what's wrong they give them a list of things they must do to fix it so don't tell me you can't do that with guardianship. You can, but they just don't, mm -hmm. you know? And can I make one more point? Please. Only people with money are guardianized. You know, this is a system that was designed to protect the most vulnerable people. Well, really? Then how come there's so many people sleeping on the street in Los Angeles mm -hmm. and New York and Chicago Absolutely. and Dallas and Baltimore and everywhere? If we really cared about protecting our most vulnerable people, we would concentrate on that. Wouldn't yeah, why we? are they guardianized? But no, guardianship only targets people with money. And once your money runs out, you know what happens? See ya. Your guardian steps back, says, there's nothing more for me to do, Your Honor. And the ward goes on the public dole. They go into a group home or they go into some substandard nursing uh, facility it it's it's just pathetic so you the could be rest. say you could save your whole life for a a, a lovely retirement to go into an L, a, a senior place where they have you know different layers of care as you as you continue to age 
And all of that is gone by the time you need that level of care because they've gone through all your money. It's it's really just a horror story. And in your book, you, you uh, give some examples of some notoriously vulture-like guardians that have a reputation. And talk about some of these and talk about what they did so people understand the severity of what can happen. April Parks. Ooh. Oh, April Parks. Um, if, if you saw the movie, I Care A Lot yes. with <laughs> Rosamund Park. We did, yeah. uh, Reportedly, that character was patterned after April Parks, uh, Nevada, Las Vegas, Nevada area. She had so many wards, not all at the same time, you know, dozens and dozens and hundreds of wards all at the same time. No one can possibly take care of that many people. But the minute they're guardianized, all of the money went into April Parks's name. And then she didn't really care what happened to people. She just warehoused them here and there, went in, sold their homes, sold all their heirlooms, sold everything. And when they died, if there wasn't a family member around, convenient family member around, she would have people cremated. And after she was sent away to prison for up to 40 years for financial mishandling of her wards, estates, uh, one of her storage lockers was opened up. It was bought by somebody in Vegas, and he opened it up thinking, ooh, I wonder what's in here. There were 27 cremane urns in there. Yikes. She just never bothered to give the ashes to the family so they could have a decent burial. That was April Parks. I, I want to, because I want you to comment on any of these that you feel worthy of comment, but you have some great suggestions toward the end of your book about avoiding problems like this. And for instance, never use a lawyer to solve family disputes. Mediation. You know, if you can't get along with your brother, sister, Wheezy, I know your family, you all get along famously. We do. But a lot don't. Don't go to a lawyer for advice. Go to family mediation first. It's going to cost you a lot less. And mm -hmm. you may not get roped into a guardianship. Really, really concentrate on it because in the end, the person you're fighting about, that's the person who's going to get hurt the most. So these coalitions of uh, elements that are washing each other's hands do not include mediators. Like if you go to a mediator, that mediator is not going to recommend you for a guardianship correct? I never found one that did. No, okay. no. Okay. They, they talk about family dynamics and understand and think ahead what might happen if you do A, B, and C. I, here's another great tip. Obtain a notarized medical certificate of capacity for your relative. How does one do that? You, If you think your elderly mother, father, your disabled uh, family member might be having a, some memory issues or if someone says hey you know what they're losing that we got to do something go to a qualified psychiatrist psychologist mental health person and get a certificate saying yes they are in their right mind mm -hmm. and then it can't be used against you you can't mm -hmm. that that well it might still be but at least you have that certificate realize a lot of this stuff you take to court and the judge goes yeah okay Oh, wait, you have a power of attorney? Yeah, I'm going to ignore it. Oh, wait, you have a last will and testament? Yeah, yeah, no, we're going to bust that. Holy I know you left your house to your daughter, but we need to sell it because, you know, you need to go to a nursing home now. So Yikes. a lot of the documents that you prepare may not protect you in the end because these guardianship courts, they're actually called equity courts. They don't operate like a criminal court or, or a civil court. 
There's no due process guaranteed. There's no trials. There, there's no guarantee that you can have any witnesses come forward and speak on your behalf. So were you, so, a, were you able to ever go into one of these hearings and, and, and view? and one, with, time. one time. One time. Okay, where was that? In, in Pennsylvania. Wow. So, and then and, I got escorted out. And you got escorted <laughs> out. So they don't even, yeah. they don't want anyone. It's, it's just complete secrecy what all is going on. Wow. Often there are gag orders. And, and so the people involved cannot come out and discuss what happened inside with anybody. I had a case in Santa Fe, New Mexico. There was a a gal who came out and told her very best friend what was going on in court. The friend put a little something on Facebook. Oh, yeah. And the woman got fined $25,000. Yeah. Oh, my God. Here's another tip. Place your funds in a joint tendency account. What is that? That, like, say, Louise, my mother. Say my mother was still alive mm-hmm. and my father has passed away. My mother and I have our names on the same account. Mm. That way, if something happens and she loses her right to that account, you still have it. Mm-hmm. And, wow. and you can buy a boat. So that's important. <laughs> um, now talk about supported decision making, elder care, con- elder caring considerations, some of the ideas, because there, mm-hmm. uh, there is hope out there. If, if if we just, you know, get enough people aware as the baby boomers are aging, that we, the laws need to be changed and, and systems need to be put in place that are more protective and less attractive to predators. Well, you know, many states will tell you, uh, well, we have this law that says that the judge may consider a less restrictive uh, situation. Well, may consider, they don't bother. They don't even think about this thing called for example, supported decision-making, which is just getting a team around a person to help them decide things. Now, it could be people who work for the state. It could be um, a neighbor and a niece and a grandson. Just making sure that that person has people around them to help them make important decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I need to sell my car. How do I do that? Yeah, I go to buy a car. I ask people, you know, what do you drive? What do you like? What don't you like? What should I avoid? That's me relying on supported decision making. So for people who may just have a little memory issue or suffer from uh, immobility for cerebral palsy or multiple sclerosis, they just need a little support. They don't need a full blown guardianship where we take away all their rights and all their assets. You know, disabled people in this country get a up to like $10,000 a month in disability checks. That's really attractive That's to a, a target right there. than the guardianship system. Mm-hmm. And it kind, of, it, it kind of- It kind of- home for five grand and then there's five grand left over every month. And this kind of connects to your last tip and it might be the most important. And that is make a list of six people who would make responsible guardians, which is a great idea. But if you take that list to court is the judge obligated to take one of your suggestions? No, of no. course not. No, you see, I do give lots of tips in the book, and one of them is everybody's got one of these, right? Get your cell phone out, call a family meeting, and tell everybody, here's what's going to happen. I don't want to go into guardianship, and I want you two to stop fighting, and I my will is in the safe back here, and anybody who uh, wants to challenge my power of attorney, my will, my irrevocable trusts, you're disinherited. Yeah. Now you got it all on tape. 
Mm-hmm. That's very powerful stuff to take into a court of law, like the certificate of mental stability. Mm-hmm. So if you build a um, portfolio, so to speak, right now and say, I want to be in guardianship and there are five people here that I trust the most and pick one of those, Your Honor, that packet of information could go a long way to force a judge to make some decisions that you agree with. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you. With a tsunami of baby boomers coming to age now, I just think there's no more important book. This book just scared the hell out of me, but it was so informative. Mm-hmm. And I hope people will, you know, sometimes you get down to the weeds with the technical, um, uh, you know, definitions and stuff, but it's really important. It's, you've worked all your life for uh, retirement savings and you have a house or a couple of houses. And uh, it's just, it's, I'll tell you, it's my criticism of the entire healthcare industry in this country. Um, and I, I was talking to a surgeon about this. I said, how do you feel about uh, the medical system in, in this country compared to the others, the countries that have socialized medicine like France or Canada? He said, the best medical insurance uh, program on the planet is Medicare. It's so good and so not easily jammed up in legalities. He said it's the best one. I said I think the I, I hope I hope we can make it to the point where people can work until they're 65 years old being a tax-paying citizen since they were old enough to work, but if they get a catastrophic illness like a heart procedure, they don't go bankrupt. To me, that's immoral. And this is the same thing. There should be things that should be in place to protect these people from the predatory nature of some of this industry. And you talk about the goal of removing the profit motive and caring for those at risk. How, what would it take because I, I think we do need federal law. I don't think this can be a state-by-state state situation. Yeah. Me too. Because then people just hop a state over to do whatever they're trying to do to mom and dad's, you know, estate. But removing the profit motive would cost right. money, correct? It, it, it just would. But what could we do or what should we do in the next, let's say, two to five years to protect the aging boomers? Okay, Excuse my French, but mm-hmm. Congress could get off its ass. Yeah, that's what they could do. Yeah, they keep having hearings about uh, guardianship and the horrors, and people come and they tell heart wrenching stories, and then Congress doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. They did pass one little bo- uh, law recently, but it it hasn't helped at all. Um, well, what can we do? What can we do? Capping the fees would be a great first start, I okay. think. Uh, I found guardians who charge $600 an hour to answer family phone calls and go through mail and Mm -hmm. pay a bill. Mm -hmm. $600 an hour. And then they hire uh, a caretaker, a 24-hour nurse. They they get a landscaper and a driver for you and a chef. And I, I mean, it's crazy the things that they spent money on. So curbing that to the percentage of money that the person has... You know, if somebody has $20 million, well, then get them a chef. They're probably used to having a chef. But if somebody has $2 million or $200,000, don't spend it frivolously like that. There's there's no curbs on how this money can be spent, except everyone involved will tell you, well, the judge gave me permission. Yeah. And the judges do give them permission. 
It's just like, yeah, okay, what do you want to do? Yeah, okay. Yeah, you have my permission. No more junk fees for older folks. Going into it. Yeah. So, what can we do? We can pass some laws to license them, Mm. to make sure they have some sort of certification. If you're going to take over someone's accounts, you should have some financial background, right? Yeah, some fiduciary. You should have some elder elder care experience, you know? Anyway, I could go on and on. I know. You You wrote a whole book about it. I know. But when you come back here, and I hope it's sometime soon, because we just love being in this zip code. Your house looks expansive. You can't even see the end that's of whatever just room. The well, that's our, our big TV back there, and I, I put a mock-up of the book back but there. But I, I would love to talk to you uh, doing a, a hindsight look at your participation in the Michael Jackson trials and stuff, because nobody did more work on it, and did more revelatory uh, journalism than you did. And, you know, Weezy and I were involved in that case, and it would just be really interesting to to talk to you about that. Maybe sometime we'll do that. Have you written a book about that? Yes. We can rehash that. Yes, I did write Oh, I'm about. sorry I didn't know Can that. you hold that one up? Have you got that one? <laughs> I didn't bring that one up. It's anyway, I'd love to talk to you about that, because to me that was, in my whole career in the news business, that was truly the most fascinating and mysterious time well you want to know the best part of the book diane didn't know me when when she wrote the book but in the book she calls me a pretty blonde that's very nice yeah we did too know you i remember <laughs> i remember going to premier radio years ago and meeting you there yeah we and did then i was sitting in the jackson courtroom and they called louise polanker to the stand what you know her she's from radio (laughs) i know that woman yeah we go back we go back but yeah and i never want to be two feet away from tom mesero ever again in my life he's a very intimidating human being yeah Yeah. i can't wait to talk to you about that yeah he's a good lawyer if i was in trouble absolutely i wouldn't call him but (laughs) he has a scary haircut as a client either let's be honest he's he was a good lawyer and i'll tell you the other really good lawyer in that case was a guy named Ron Zonin. Ron oh, Zonin. He was unbelievable. Yeah. Someone in this room should marry that fellow. <laughs> I think you did. Yeah, Ron, Ron was mesmerizing, as mesmerizing as Mesero. Um, yeah, and I never yeah. got got to see him. In, in one thing that you don't know about witnesses is that you don't sit there and watch the case until it's not like an open mic where they just call your name and you walk up. It's like, <laughs> they no. keep you. You're, you're in the back room. They you're you're you isolated in guardianship. You know, you it's like name that tune. You're wearing headphones so that you can't hear any of the clues until you're called. And then you walk in and everyone's in there staring at you because you're the new thing in the room. It's quite intimidating. And then it, you have to swear on a Bible. You and, swear yeah. on a Bible. Yeah, yeah exactly. You no, know, I, I am trying to arrange some speaking engagements out there uh, about oh. the book um, to some legal groups and whatnot. So if I get out that way, I'll come and sit with you. Maybe. Yeah. Please let and us take you to lunch. Fritz, a little history mm-hmm. lesson. Diane and I... We did a podcast from this studio called Talk It Over about mediation. Oh. And when Diane walks back into this room, she will not recognize She'll it as freak the same out. room. It's all been redone. She'll say, what is this room? It's, I know. I've been trying to look into the camera, but I, what, no. what did you do to the so, walls? Now it's the uh, Lunchbox Museum, and yep. we have lots of- I got a radio there. desk. Joanne did this beautiful backdrop. and. Wow. All the furniture that you remember is is gone. There is new carpeting, which you carpeting. Should, wow, yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, it it really is just 
Uh, anyway, thank you so much for a fascinating discussion. I just love. Oh, it. thank you guys. I really appreciate. I, I appreciate the time and your interest because you know when I told my friends I'm writing a book about guardianship, they went. You know, they, oh, yeah. like, wait till they get our age and then they'll stop no, it, snoring and wake up. It's a topic no, that well. it's easy to imagine isn't going to affect you, but mm-hmm. it yes. but it could. Mm-hmm. And so we all need to take care of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could happen to you and you don't even know it. Yep. You get a knock on the door and somebody hands you a paper and says, you're in guardianship. Yeah. Oh, Lord. And it's really hard to get out. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your important work. You're welcome. Thanks, you guys. Here comes our closing credits. Thank you so much for joining us. We would love to continue this conversation with you on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at MediaPathPod, and on Facebook, where our show page is MediaPathPodcast, and our Facebook group is MediaPath with Fritz and Wheezy Podcast Community. You can find full video podcast episodes loaded with bonus visual content on our YouTube channel at MediaPathPodcast, and you can write to us at MediaPathPodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy the show, please give us a nice rating wherever you get your podcasts and talk about us on social media and over pie over the Christmas holidays <laughs> with your loved ones, if you would be so kind. You can sign up for our spicy newsletter at mediapathpodcast.com. Also there, while you're there, you can really browse because you can listen to any and all of our episodes. This is number 159. You could spend the whole Christmas break listening to episodes of this podcast. <laughs> oh, boy. And just come out for pie. We're going to find w- you some relatives. <laughs> we want to thank our guests, Maurice Godin, Greg Thurlaway, and the beautiful Diane Diamond. Our team includes producer Dina Friedman, John Maddox, Bill Filipiak, Thomas Hubble, Mason Brown, Garrett Arch, Chris Baldwin, Jordan Reyes, and you. Our theme music is by me and John Maddox. I am Louise Planker, here with Fritz Coleman and Diane Diamond. Be well and wise, and we will see you along the media path. All right, we're going to take our picture next to your face, Diane, on our monitors. Oh. <laughs>